Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 87 with my guest, former WWF and Raw Magazine writer, Robert Bledsoe. Before we get to my conversation with my former co-worker, Robert, I'd like to touch on a few things. First and foremost, I want to make mention of, speaking of magazines and WWF Magazine, the passing of somebody who uh, many of you may not know, but then again, if you were a regular reader of WWF Magazine in the 80s and 90s, you will know the name. I want to mention the unfortunate and untimely passing of Louis Gianfrido. Louis was a longtime WWF publications writer. He worked on the magazines from the very beginning, practically, all the way through the 1990s. He really was taken in by the boys. He became one of the boys. He was loved by the wrestlers. He was loved by Vince. He had a pretty long career at the WWF, as it was then known. And again, he was a fixture in the magazine masthead, along with people like my friend Keith Elliott Greenberg, photographer Tom Buchanan, Steve Taylor, people like that, Ed Ricciuti. These were the names that really populated the imaginations of people who read those magazines back in the day. I did not have a chance to get to know Louis as he was already gone from the company uh, probably oh, less than a year before I got there, maybe six months. But I had heard the stories about him. He was a very colorful character who really got along with everybody. He was also occasionally seen on television. You may remember the infamous incident in 1994 when Bob Backlund put the cross-faced chicken wing on poor Louie as Vince and others, uh, Randy Savage, I believe as well, tried to pry him off right after the, the Bob Backlund heel turn. That might have been the most prominently featured that Louie ever was. But certainly if you were on the road back then and if you worked in the publications department, you most certainly knew who Luigi and Frito was. Apparently, it happened some time ago, some weeks ago, and we had not heard about it. Really, I hadn't heard anything about Louis in years. After he got out of the wrestling business, he kind of disappeared. And But it was recently, I know he kept in touch with Vince Russo, who was in charge of the magazines at the time, part of the time that Louis worked there. And Russo recently tweeted the news of Louis's passing, and that's kind of how the word got out. So again, I just wanted to make mention of that, the passing of a wrestling magazine luminary, Louis Gianfrido. I also want to mention some good news, some news about Irresistible Force, The Life and Times of Gorilla Monsoon, my new and upcoming book. As I made the announcement on social media some days ago, but I'm going to make it here as well on Shut Up and Wrestle. 
that none other than Brett the Hitman Hart has agreed to write the forward to the book. Now, a lot of you may know that the term excellence of execution that was used for Brett over the years originally came from Gorilla. He used to use it back in the day for people like Brett and occasionally for other wrestlers as well. But with Brett, it truly stuck. And it stuck because Gorilla wanted it to stick. What you may not know is that Gorilla Monsoon was very close with the Hart family for many years, going back to when he debuted in his very early career in Calgary in the Stampede promotion in the early 60s. And of course, over the years, he would always make mention, Gorilla would, of the Hart family on commentary, Stu and Helen. And he was a champion and advocate of Bret Hart behind the scenes in the WWF when people didn't really immediately see him as a star. And Bret had a lot of fond memories of Gino and was very grateful for what he did to help his career. And so for that reason as well, Bret agreed to write the forward to the book. So I'm very excited about that. And I will keep all of you posted again on the continuing progress of this book, which I expect to be out either in late 2024 or early 2025. But again, I will keep you posted. One other thing I want to mention before I get to the interview with Robert is the new PWI 500 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's the December 2023 issue. I talked a little bit about it last week, but it is now on sale. You can get it in digital form on pwi-online.com. And I believe it's going to be available in print form very soon as well. Some subscribers may have already gotten it. In addition to the PWI 500, of which I am a contributor and of which I am on the evaluation committee, so I'm very proud of that, I also wrote a couple of columns in the issue. I wrote an obituary remembering Terry Funk, which I'm very proud of that you can find in that issue, as well as my vintage column, The Way It Was, which takes a look back at the original 1991 edition of the PWI 500, and it's a real eye-opener. I think you're going to enjoy it. So pick up that December issue of PWI, pwi-online.com, or if you're lucky enough to see it in places like Stop and Shop and Barnes and Noble, other places like that where they still do carry magazines, you'll find it. So check it out. But right now, I want to take you to my interview with Robert Bledsoe, who worked in the publications department, a little bit overlapping my time there. I think you're going to enjoy some of his fresh and candid kind of memories as a true wrestling fan, as he describes here, a true fan who came to work for the magazine and what that experience was like. Also want to just mention before we get to it, the audio quality for this one was a little bit spotty compared to the reputation of excellence here at Arcadian Vanguard. Unfortunately, Robert was using Zoom on basically a hotel Wi-Fi, which for any of us that have traveled, we know that is not the the best kind of Wi-Fi that you can find. So it was a little bit spotty. I tried to clean it up as best as I could. I do apologize for some of the stops and starts and the dropping and things that really could not be helped. But nevertheless, I do believe you will enjoy this interview immensely, and I will take you to it right now.
Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to bring you another in the ongoing series of episodes that I've been doing on former, not just former employees at Titan Towers, former WWE corporate employees, but also specifically former colleagues of myself, former publications, magazine colleagues. So if you are a fan of those types of episodes, then I know it's been a while since I've done one, but this is going to be one for you. Who I have with me today, and we'll talk about this, is somebody who, in kind of an indirect way, is partly responsible for me getting a chance to write for WWE Magazine and Raw Magazine, mainly because he he left and there was a spot. But uh, he is someone that I worked with for all too brief a time, I have to say. Uh, WWE, or at the time he was there, WWF Magazine staff writer, 1999 and 2000, Robert Bledsoe. Robert, thanks so much for coming on Shut Up and Wrestle this week. Well, thanks for having me. I feel like I'm assembling. I, I should do, I'm eventually going to do like a greatest hits highlights episode, I think, where I've got Aaron Feigenbaum, Mike Fazioli, uh, just all, all the different people. Tom Buchanan I had. I had I had John Giamundo, who I think actually came after you. But all the, all the publications people, I'm going to eventually combine into one episode. Maybe I could finally get uh, Barry Werner out of hiding and get him to come on. That will be the ultimate accomplishment. What do you think? Oh, have, have you actually tried? Um, well, to be honest, no, I have not. Oh, so I, okay. I don't want Barry to listen to this and go like, but you didn't even call me. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, but I know uh, I would love to have him, but I just know that um, he kind of shies away from things like that. So I, I didn't want to put him on the spot, but it's kind of funny. A, a lot of the stories I tell on here, from the magazine days, at least, involve Barry in some way. So if you've been listening to this show from the beginning, you're probably wondering who this mysterious Barry Werner character is. And maybe one day I will reach out. And I mean, Barry uh, is a wonderful guy. And he's always, anytime I've had a request for anything, a job recommendation or whatever the heck it was, he always came through for me. So uh, maybe, maybe he'll come on one day. We'll see. I don't know. But Barry hired you directly, right? Yes, he did. How did that happen? So, so, um, so my background English and broadcast journalism, and I'm from Chicago. Uh, I think you know that, yeah. I do. So uh, originally from Chicago, I went to, yeah. So I went to undergrad in Minnesota, small school in Minnesota, and for grad school, I went to Syracuse. The goal for me uh, was to be a news reporter. Um, that was my background. I did um, several internships uh, at news stations, one where I'm from in Chicago. I did another one at CNBC in London uh, to complete um, my master's there at Syracuse. And so basically, um, before spring break of graduating, um, Syracuse had a job consortium. And if you were, if you, basically what you did, if you were interested in companies, they had 
uh, different companies that were going to be at this job consortium when you got back from spring break. They had a list of different companies. Um, and one of them, believe it or not, was the WWF. So they were at this. It was, was it like a job fair, that kind of thing? So their name was on the list of companies that would be at this job consortium. If you were interested, you left your you signed your name. And when you got back from spring break, you check your name. If your name was on the list with the company, then an interview would be scheduled uh, once you got back from spring break. And so uh, I got back from spring break. I'd applied to, I mean, because I used to watch Who's the Boss as a kid. So I was like, okay, uh, there were a couple um, advertising agencies because I remember Angela Bauer used to do advertising. Um, so I was like, oh, you know, I, I like advertising. I think I can do that. So my name was on the list for an advertising company when I got back. And lo and behold, it was on the list for the WWF. And so um, I could not believe it. This was, uh, you know, I've been a fan of wrestling since I was about five years old. And the WWF was interested in me. And what they were hiring for at the time was new media. I didn't exactly know what new media was. <laughs> All I know is that the WWF was interested in me. And, you know, they also had looked at my resume. So, again, you, you left your, your resume um, before spring break. And so at the job consortium there at Syracuse, uh, the representative was someone from HR. And I cannot remember his name, but he was the nicest short Italian guy. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of who that would be. Oh, man. Not, I, Marco was not hiring. <laughs> no, I well, I remember Palma Brax. She was the yes. HR person that got me in. And there was also Giovanna. She helped get me in. Um, Sarah Troy, I remember. I don't I don't think from that period I remember any men in HR at all. Yeah, and not, neither of them are short Italian men. Uh, no, they're definitely not short Italian it's, men. Yeah, well, um, neither is Syracuse. It's funny. But um, yeah, so it's a disservice not to remember his name, but I don't. But anyway... He was the one who basically um, I passed the first test with. And so I got invited to Stanford um, for the final interview. They flew me out. And Barry was the one who interviewed me. And like the, you know, I didn't I didn't learn a lot of these terms. I listened to, uh, you know, uh, with Aaron, with Marco, with. Fazoli, uh, Mike Fazioli, um, <laughs> and they all, all you guys had these wrestling uh, terms. So being a mark that I was, you know, I actually brought in uh, some of my wrestling figures that I still kept and also some wrestling posters. So I know that you're with PWI as yes. well. I, I, you know, at the supermarket, and at uh, Walgreens, I would, 
you know, try and get the latest PWI and a couple other magazines and save the posters inside. So for the interview, I brought some posters in. And I brought a few toy wrestlers in. <laughs> I think I heard about I guess, this. Yes. And I guess uh, that one burial. And I was uh, invited to join the staff. And that's where I learned that I'd be part of publications because um, this was 1999. So mm-hmm. Russo was was not was already gone by then or? Yes. Okay. And that led to... Um, a little interesting Christmas party. I don't know. Did you ever hear about that Christmas party? No, because I know like, all right. So I interviewed my first interview, which was for copy editor was October 99. And it was literally like, basically they brought me in because Russo left. They were trying to like restaff and get some, like Barry was trying to sort of like bring in different people. And I came in and then, but I didn't actually get hired until January 2000. And I started in February so I kind of miss. So I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Christmas 1999. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I would have been there if they had moved their asses a little quicker and hired me, but you know, it's not how it went down. Yeah. Well, actually, when I was there, um, there, there are a few replacements uh, there. You know, I was still there when Louis was there. Right, Louis Jean Frito, who. Yeah. For a lot of us, I don't know if you read WWF magazine, but that was like one of those names, even from when I was a kid, like Keith Elliott Greenberg that you'd see in the magazine or Tom Buchanan. And then, you know, in I didn't know Louie, but in the cases of the others, then all of a sudden you're working with them. But but Louis Gianfrido was definitely a name that I knew. And I remembered Bob Backlund putting him in the crossface chicken wing on Monday Night Raw. And I think they actually told me at one point that he was um, Bad News Brown's Harlem sewer rats that they had him. Do you remember the Harlem sewer rats that where, where he had this giant box or something that he would throw food into and they, and, and you didn't really see what was in there. And apparently it was Luigi and Frito. So yes. Oh, oh my. Wow. I don't remember that. I'm kind of glad that I don't. You know? <laughs> I mean, because I, I don't know what I would have thought of him had I known that, you know, but <laughs> Um, yeah, so we should, we shared an office, but, you know, and I'll get back to the, to the Christmas party, which I, I, wow, I thought you would have heard that. Well, okay. Maybe if you tell it, it might be something that I have heard, but I don't want to spoil it by saying it. Um, is it the, I I remember hearing a story. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you tell it. Well, okay. So, and, and number one, again, I'm, I'm, more than likely going to be your most boring guest because I don't have nearly as many stories um, as the others. And I didn't share as, as much time with you. So, you know, I was still, you know, when I started, I actually, and, you know, I heard you guys, you know, talking about Kevin Kelly a lot. Um, Kevin Kelly was still there when I started. And I was a little bit in awe because I remember him as the guy on TV. Right. And and so just so people know, Kevin Kelly was working on the magazine staff for that period of time. Yes. Right. So yeah. It's like, yeah, you, you, you know, you guys were way. Be- I thought that I was a big fan. All right. But I've listened to these podcasts and I'm I'm like an outsider fan. So it's like, again, I didn't know the different inside terms. I, you know, I just grew up watching this on tv right buying the magazines 
And I'm ashamed to admit, I didn't want to admit that um, that all of it wasn't real. All right. So you were so, still trying to keep kayfabe yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, you know. Good so, for you. As a matter of fact, I told you my background, a news reporter. I actually had Kevin Kelly actually, um, you know, nicely talk to me uh, one day and let me know I didn't actually have to wear a blazer in the office. Which they used was, to require that if you back in the 80s and early 90s, I think they did require you to wear a blazer. Well, I was basically coming to work like I was, you know, Walter Conkright. <laughs> you know, um, I I was not really um, business casual. I come with a shirt and tie and a blazer and I guess it was noticed. And so Kevin um, actually let me know that it was okay, that I could relax, you know. And so the Christmas party... I guess part of me had not relaxed yet um, because I would later learn that the Christmas party was, you know, supposed to be this relaxed atmosphere where, you know, all the employees, you know, you know, met in this one space and, you know, you feel free to ask any questions. And so, you know, I asked, you know, basically how responsible was, Vince for uh, Vince McMahon responsible for Vince Russo leaving and and you know you know how satisfied was he with with that decision and uh, you know I'm surprised I wasn't fired. Um, That's the story I, I heard. Yeah, well, I didn't know a whole lot of the backstory. Yep, and you know this was my first time ever. Um, you know, being in a room with with Vince McMahon, yeah, um, <laughs> and I can't exactly remember his answer, but it definitely took him aback, and it was quickly turned into um, let's enjoy the Christmas party. It definitely ruffled his feathers, though. I remember that part. That is the story that I heard. Yes, I I also remember hearing. That at that point, that Kevin Kelly kind of turned to Barry and said something like, that's your guy right there, you know, you know, like that kind of thing, <laughs> like just rubbing it in, you know. Well, you know, we got good training at Syracuse. What can I say? Yeah. You were but trying to be a journalist, the right? New house, the Newhouse School of Broadcast Journalism. <laughs> that is, yep, that is the story that I heard for sure. That's the story. And I know, I remember that you were a fan. And I just want to say, too, so that we, we get it out of the way right away, because I alluded to this at the beginning. But one thing I wanted to be clear of, so so people get the timeline, I'm sure people are fascinated with every detail of my career. But uh, when I started there, I was basically a proofreader and I was working for creative services and publications. You were a staff writer. Louis was gone by that point. Um, he had had his own downfall and Aaron had been hired to replace Louis as a writer. And then basically you, I think I want to say it was late 2000, like the fall of 2000, you left of your own accord, which is rare for that place. And, um, and Barry then slotted me in as the staff writer, because what, what I was hoping was 
you know, I knew, as you said, I knew a lot about wrestling. I was a huge fan and I was a writer. I'm an English lit major like you. And I had been, I had been a professional writer already for about three years out of college by the time I even got there. And so I'm thinking like, I'm not really a proofreader. Like I'm not, I'm not, but I'm trying to get my foot in the door. And what I was hoping was if I could kind of show Barry and show them that I could do these things, that eventually there'd be a writing spot for me. And and thankfully, that's exactly what happened. It didn't take long. It was like nine months, maybe. And and that was your so what we worked together for, we were there at the same time for about nine months, I would say. Yeah. So I'm 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 happy that that worked out for you. Thank you, Robert. Um <laughs> it's well, it's like I was like. Wow, everybody in this department wants to write. I mean, it's like uh the But see, I actually knew how to write though. That's the difference, you know. Well, it's like, you know, we had a copy editor, you know, uh writing under an alias. She was she was writing now. I was like, like, oh my God, I thought there were two staff writers here. But you know, um, and by the way, I really liked Louis. Louis was not to go back to Louis. No, it's fine. Let's because people know that name if you read the magazine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I did. And see, I did not read the magazine, and I'll tell you why. I always saw it, but I grew up watching different territories. You know, I mean, I, you know, all all these terms again that I just knew I've watched different uh, companies. Right, right. And the WWF only magazine only had stuff about the WWF. Totally. I get yeah, it. So it's like I was like, I don't know. So you yeah. were reading Pro Wrestling Illustrated, those kind of magazines. Right? Yeah, the all the other. I never yeah. bought a single copy of WWF because I wanted to read more about WWF. I always noticed that, you know, match of the year, uh, uh, wrestler of the year. You know, I glanced their covers. I glanced their magazines. Everything was WWF. So I never bought any of those things. So I did not know Louie. I did what I did. Most people in the office were very nice to me. Um, and I learned, um, even though it wasn't expressly uh, said to me, but I'm, I'm sorry to go here, but I'm, I'm a Pisces and I'm kind of intuitive. And I learned, I learned about all this stuff. Did you remember Melissa, um, who was, uh, Melissa Costabile? Yeah. Yeah, well, Melissa Costabile, okay, so Melissa Costabile, who p- people listening to this may not know the name, but if you remember the vignettes where Stone Cold Steve Austin became the new CEO of, or the new chairman of the WWF, and came into the corporate offices and was like taking over Vince's job, if you remember that very famous thing that they did on Raw, and the first thing he does is he goes to the front desk and he goes to reception and there's that cute little receptionist at the desk. That was Melissa Costabile. And by the way, she later became, maybe you didn't know this, she became Barry's assistant. Um, I think it must have been after you left, um, but she was Barry's assistant for years. She They took her off reception and they brought her to publications. Yeah. Uh, everything happened after I left. <laughs> you know, you know maybe what about her? Some premonition going on there, but it's like, she, uh, she, uh, not to go too off, off, off kilter, but um, I was not into uh, um, zodiac signs and all that stuff until she brought a huge book. Um, 
because she was, I guess, going to convince me or whatever. She brought this huge Zodiac book, which broke down not only each Zodiac, but each birthday. And I read mine and I was like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> wow. So I, I, I honestly believe for whatever reason that Barry did not like Louie. And I, I, th I think you might be right, actually. I don't know what Louis did specifically. I think they tried to blame um, something on alcoholism or something like that. Uh, but well, um, one thing I know, I know that, you know, Louis had been there since the mid 80s and it, the heyday of the company, Hulk Hogan and all that. And I do think and I know he's not here to defend himself. I'm not going to, you know, just totally bury somebody or whatever but i know that he got caught up in the whole kind of you know there was a lot going on in the 80s with drugs and things like that and, and going on the road and he was on the road a lot let's just say they sent him on the road a lot and he got really taken in by the boys he became kind of one of the boys and i think he wound up getting into the, some of the same trouble that a lot of the boys got into and uh he would keep getting kind of forgiven and pardoned i think he was in rehab for a point it was almost like he was one of the wrestlers that i did know and you know but they all loved him and i think vince loved him a lot vince really liked having him around and he always managed to stick around but i think i i think barry because barry was coming from the outside you know i think barry had a lot less patience for it than a lot of other people did at least that and and not even knowing him just from secondhand stories that's the impression i got yeah i mean he was just always very nice because we shared an office i joined his office and you know he was like one of the first people i met and he was very nice to me and he even i still have a pair you know i i listened where um you mentioned how they would how uh, titan tower they put out different um things for employees to get you know um you know that they didn't want anymore um right yes <laughs> yeah so louis got me a pair of gucci uh sunglasses that he said belonged to shane and wow. he gave those to me and i still have them wow well um, if i wouldn't get rid of gucci shades either man well, I mean, they're they're a little big for my face, but um, it was the gesture and also that they were from Shane. And it was I actually got to meet Shane, um, who was also very nice to me. Um, the family, despite, you know, the Christmas, um, they were nice to me. And I, I, I'm sure Aaron told you uh, the story of uh, I mean, because it always kept him laughing. I, I remember meeting Linda, Linda McMahon. And again, she was nice to me. But one day we were in the elevator and, you know, I was like, good morning, Linda. You know, and she's like, oh, hi, Terry. And I just stood there for a moment. Did you know who Terry was? No, Terry. I'm trying to think. Of, no, I don't think so. Okay. So, yeah. Well, you know, to go on a really, really bad stereotype, but there's a really bad stereotype of black people working in the in the mailroom. And oh. Terry worked in the mailroom. Oh, Terry no. was a black guy that worked in the mailroom. Oh, so I was no. like, oh my God. Because you know how they would, oh, 
Howie, remember how they come by and bring um the fan mail? Oh God, that was the bane of my existence. Of course I remember. So you I took that over from you. Yeah, I think so, you were doing it. What a burden, God. Oh well, Howie was Howie was was everybody was nice, but I was like, oh my gosh, she thinks I'm the black guy from the mailroom. I thought we had something <laughs> going on here, Linda, but and I told Aaron that story. He would, you know, <laughs> just have fun. He still, you know, would still after I left, you know, call me purpose you know well all um, right so now that clarifies yeah, something i um, didn't know that story yeah. but i remember aaron calling you terry and not understanding why he was calling you terry and now i finally understand linda i i, I had some dealings with linda and i found this is what i i always tell people about it like um i make a distinction because i dealt with all the mcmahons at different periods and i say i always say shane was the nicest one of them all uh but Stephanie was nice oh my okay um Whoa. moving along Shane oh. was the nicest one but Linda was and I guess it's because she wasn't an actual McMahon she was you know she had married in Linda was the most um normal one of the four of them like felt like you're talking to a normal human being uh which is slightly different from being the nicest you know but I had worked with her and done things with her. Um, I, I was almost like a ghostwriter for her, <clears throat> excuse me, for a brief period where if she was called on to write uh, an article for a book or something, like they had a book on, you know, the best brands or that kind of thing, and they had contributions from CEOs, I would write it for her or even wrote a couple of political th themed things when they were doing SmackDown, Your Vote, and um, I would sit down with her in her office and she would go through the bullet points with me of what she wanted it to say and give me all these notes and, you know, post-its and everything on top of everything I had written. And I remember she actually called me from the, I want to say it was the 2001 inauguration of George W. Bush. She was there. And I had conflicted emotions about this, but she called me to thank me for the work I had done, like working with her to help with the WWF's like SmackDown the Vote initiative and all that stuff. So I, I did have a little bit of, of dealings with her. And she loved my daughter, actually. And she remembered whenever I'd come in with my daughter, who at the time was a baby, she would always hold her and talk to her, you know. She, she was they call her the wrong name, did she? No, I <laughs> I don't think she confused her with anybody in the office. But it's funny that you mentioned that because um, there was because I remember Howie, of course, every day coming by with the mail card and Howie would even get referenced a couple of times on TV. Do you remember that? Like Jr. Jr. used to like to name drop Howie. It was the funniest thing. I don't know why, but I remember they did an angle on Raw maybe once or twice where basically it would be one of these things where everybody was coming out of the locker room and had something to say or was getting involved or interfering. And at one point, Jr. goes, who's next? Howie from the mail room, you know, <laughs> and, and that is a joke that you will not get unless you actually work there. But I remember this, this is one thing that th this brought to my mind. One, one moment where I don't know if you remember this, but we were dying. We were on the floor. It was me, you and Aaron, I think all together, where if you're a fan and you come to work there, right, like all of us were, you have sometimes these surreal things that happen that are just so bizarre and 
just funny and you have to acknowledge it. They had the intercom system in the office where they would call people. I don't know if they still do that now because everybody's got email and text and everything, but they would go like, uh, you know, for example, Robert Bledsoe, please call reception. Robert Bledsoe, please call reception. And then that would mean you would have to call the front desk or go down to the front desk where they needed you for something. And I remember, you know, sometimes you would hear things like, and I may be wrong on the on the exact names, but you might hear something like, Ted DiBiase, please call reception. Ted DiBiase, please call reception or something like that. I, I don't know if it was, I think it was actually Ted or something. It might've been like It was Teddy. Mick Foley. We, we Mick a, Foley, was it Mick we Foley? Had, we had, um, oh, you know, Kev, Kevin Sullivan, okay? So the other Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. So the the fake the fake Kevin Sullivan. You know, I was so disappointed when I found out that he wasn't the actual Prince of Darkness. Yeah, and I, just like I was disappointed when I found out that it was Mike Foley who worked yes. there and not Mick Foley. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. And so they would call. You're absolutely right. You brought back a great memory. So Aaron, Aaron and I, and this was when Aaron started. So they called, you know, like um, Mike Foley, please call reception or, you know, um, you know, uh, Kevin Sullivan, please call. <laughs> so, you know, we'd go, Kamala, please call reception. Kamala, please call reception. Oh, right. It, it right. was hilarious. I would die with Aaron, you know, because he pulled some people. Out oh, of I, re I remember you know. doing Conquistador number one, please yeah. call reception. Conquistador number one, or one that you did, which you killed me when you went, Black Demon, please call reception. Black Demon, please call reception. You know, it was just little things, but you know, you have to remember. You have to remember, we did very little in that office, so it's like I got. Hey, you know, don't listen. Don't expose that. We don't need people oh, to know that we weren't um, doing a whole hell of a lot of work half the time. Oh, Sorry. Well, is this is this a shoot or is this a, <laughs> you know, you know, again, as I learned the, the different terms. But, you know, I had and this is led to really why I left. One of the reasons why I ended up leaving, even though it was a great cushiony job, is that I had four to five articles max a month to write and they were easy stories to write mm -hmm. um and it didn't take long to write so that left a whole month of what the hell am, am I gonna do you had to be in the office you know and that's I don't know if you remember uh Robert it's 452 uh yeah I remember because then it switched to me after you left Oh, Cause, really? Because because I have to say, and I had my reasons, you know, I've won at the time in my early years there, especially I was still living in Brooklyn, which was like 75 miles away or whatever it was, 50, I don't know. And also then I had a small child and, and then a couple of them. So I was not somebody who was going to just hang around because a lot of those guys, they were not married or they didn't have kids or whatever. And, and they would just, they loved it. They used to hang around the office all hours. I simply could not do that. So yes, I would watch that clock and I would be out of there on the dot and I caught shit for it. And I think they basically transferred it from you to me, essentially. 
Well, you had to go to Brooklyn. I just didn't want to miss the express train. So I needed to I remember be across this. the street by 457. I remember so, this. <laughs> so I, you know, wouldn't miss the bus for the express train. Otherwise, I had to wait to take the local. So um, and I do you remember I had to do the interview with Jim Ross? That was I had to wait for him. Um, and it was after five o'clock and I was so pissed. I do because, remember. Yeah, I that meant, you know, missing the 457 um, because I had to talk to him about some interview that we did, whatever, after five o'clock. Um, and I don't know. Um, so, yeah, um, I know my my uh, my departure opened the door for you. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, that, you know, you got that opportunity, but. I wanted a little bit more. I was bored in that. Well, you see, I, right. No, I, I totally get that because when I came in then as, and went from copy editor to staff writer, I was doing like what you were doing, which was, you know, like you said, there's a lot of downtime, but I want to say about, oh, let's see. So late 2000, I was writing in about, well, it took a while, actually. Once Mike left, Fazioli, who was the managing editor, in late 2003, so I been I was writing for three years, then they started letting me manage, edit the magazines, where I was actually getting a lot more responsibility because I was basically running, you know, various publications and, you know, coordinating photographers and editors and things. So, like, that kept me a little more busy. But, yeah, those early years, it was definitely like, uh, I don't know, like, almost like a frat house, you know, you, where you, you do a little work every now and then, uh, you know, and, and once you got your stories in, you were kind of good unless you went on the road for one reason or another. And I have to mention it. This brings me to it because I definitely don't want to run out of time before we get to talk about this. But you're, to me anyway, and, and I remember from the time of being there, the most memorable trip that I would hear about that you did or that you got to be a part of was going to the Hardy Boys compound and was it North Carolina or South Carolina North, where North, North Carolina, Carolina. Me, you know Cameron, me, North Carolina. right Cameron North Carolina how could I forget that meeting their dad going out didn't he have like a tobacco farm or something and getting to to meet them and hang out with them for a story so which I understand was Cat's a cafe which Aaron would would rip me on endlessly, you know, you know, about Pat's Cafe. Um, Could you yeah. believe, by the way, I don't know if you follow it, that the Hardy Boys are still together now. They're still they they wrestled as we record this last night on AEW Dynamite. They're still going. Uh, they're a little worse for wear, especially Jeff, but they're still going. Yeah, um, that was I. It sounds like you guys, after I left, were able to um, travel a little more than what I did. So, I mean, I in school, I backpacked, I studied abroad. I was a free bird, which, again, seeing Michael Hayes in the office, too, was just crazy. And, and the Red Rooster. I mean, this stuff was just crazy because I was a different kind of fan. You, you guys knew all, all this behind the story stuff. I just knew the people that were, you know, on TV in front of me. So it's like I was just bored in the office. I wanted to do more. Um, I actually remember writing an email and I'll, I'll get to the Hardys in a second. But I remember writing an email 
uh, to Shane um, about how stale I felt the Austin McMahon angles. I I just thought that they it it was you, you broke up there. You, it was you broke you know, up kind of like a, the bloodline thing. Yeah, Robert, you broke up there for a second, but you were saying that you thought that Austin McMahon was getting a little stale. Okay, right, right. Yeah, it was getting kind of like the bloodline. So kind of yeah, kind of like the bloodline. So I emailed Shane, and I I don't know what it was about him. Maybe because he just say hi, you know he he was on our floor. He just say hi. He just made it very comfortable to talk to him or even send an email. I would never think for whatever reason think to send an email to Vince, but Shane created an environment where I felt I could share. And so we had a house show at Madison Garden and Shane actually introduced me again to Vince. I don't know if it came back to his memory about the Christmas party, but um, he introduced me to both Vincent and uh, JR. And he's like, yeah, this is Robert from public um, that I sent you them uh, his emails uh, about the about the uh, uh, Austin angle, you know, and it was just a very brief, awkward meeting. I mean, they were kind of nice, but it didn't go very far at all. And so any hopes that I'd had of, you know, crossing into the uh, TV part um, were faded and that uh, kind of let that was again one of the reasons why I left because I was bored in publications. But that Hardy story uh, going down to North Carolina it was out of the office. It was um, some traveling on a plane, which is stuff that I wanted to do, and it was a fantastic experience. They were so nice. Everybody in the town was so proud of Matt and Jeff. Even you know. Oh, and, 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 you know, Pat at her cafe, you know, had tons of great things and memories um, about them. Everyone was so proud. Their father, who um, sadly I, I uh, read, um, passed away uh, not too long ago. Yes. Um, yeah, he was so proud. And they were so nice to me. Everybody at that company was nice to me, except for the copy editor. <laughs> um, Is that right? Well, there's some stories there, but my, my original that. mentor. Uh, yes, yeah. I don't even know. We we don't need to to say names or anything, but yes, yeah. um, an interesting individual. Yes, yeah, and and um, you know when Howie would bring the mail, months after that Hardy story, there was still mail coming in because I don't know how I wrote it or just that the Hardys were so still so popular um but tons of fan mail came through that office from howie about that story speaking of fan mail did you ever see the photo of hunter in high school um maybe someone I... from someone from where he was nowhere near as jacked as yes. he is now yes someone yes. i guess Okay, you did see that. I think so I someone did, yeah. sent that through the mail, and Aaron, I, Aaron, and I were like, "Whoa, this looks nothing like you know the Triple H of of today." And I don't know if you also remember um, how we would bring surprises in in that mail, you know? Yes. Um, 
So in addition to the Triple H photo that someone said, um, Barry would later, I shouldn't be saying this to, to your listeners because whatever they thought of me, it's really going to go low now. But um, there was, um, you know, the, you know, we had the two different magazines. So, you know, and so someone for the, and it was obviously like either a, you know, I can't say obviously. It may have been a kid or it may have been an adult with a kid mind. Yep. There um, were a lot a lot of mail like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, somebody sent an a, a letter asking if I could deliver it to one of the talent or whatever. And they included $40 asking if I could, you know, deliver it to so-and-so, you know, the letter that was written. And for doing so, $40. I had a great lunch that day. <laughs> I bet you did. They they would be some of the mail was really, really out there, really off the wall. And I, in the beginning, I was so earnest about it. I would sit there, try to open everything, try to read every last bit of reader mail that came in. <clears throat> and after a while, it wasn't even that it was time consuming, which it was, but it was just so like 90% of it was just either gobbledygook yeah stuff that made no sense written in crayon or you know just that i just stopped reading it and eventually sorry dear listeners i would just throw it away i mean we would just get a giant bucket of it and i would just dump it straight into the garbage i'm so sorry but they needed to have somebody who was dedicated person just doing this but especially I had this, I was under these illusions when I got there. I wasn't that different from you. I would be like, oh, it's the WWF. We're going to, we obviously are getting like millions of, if we put out a poll in the magazine, we're going to get millions of responses and they would just laugh at me. And, and I understand why, because we would not, we would get, you know, just some crazy people that might write some things in and every once in a while there would be an actual legitimate letter that you could read and that made sense but like they would be somebody that would draw these pictures these really strange pictures of the wrestlers it's hard to describe and he sent a different drawing every single day and i worked there for seven years and every single day there was a letter from him that had one of these weird drawings in it uh, it could this- it could have been his 40 dollars I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe it was, and we would sometimes Aaron, the really weird ones. Aaron and I would read to each other, and there was one that it lived on in infamy forever. Where the guy, again, it was just the surreal. It was almost like somebody was on a trip or something, where he kept referring to this phrase, um, "reactionary transgression." He was obsessed with this phrase, reactionary transgression. And he was laying out like fantasy angles and storylines in his head of what he wanted to see on the show. And we got to the point where around the office, it became a catchphrase because at that time they were talking about ruthless aggression, which was a little after you left. But that was post attitude era. That was the catchphrase they were trying to push on TV, ruthless aggression. And in the office, we started saying, you know, down with ruthless aggression, up with reactionary transgression, you know, and but but you'd get stuff like that. And what do you do with stuff like that? You know, I felt bad, but it's just, 
nothing. You can't do anything. Yeah, we with we it. we were we were tossing it when I when I was there too. It was just too much. And again, I you mentioned on an, on another um, one of the episodes. This, of course, was before, and the anthrax scares. So oh yes, yes, um, that's true. That's true. That really cut it down when that started. And they laughed at me. I was like, son of a bitch. When the anthrax thing started after nine eleven, I was like, listen. I don't feel comfortable opening up this mail anymore. And I stopped for like a couple of years and then I started to go back to it again, a little bit here and there. But by that point I was an editor and I, I had far less time, but they were acting like, Oh, Solomon, you're such a prima donna. And I'm like, listen, guys, this is like a legit concern. This is actually happening. It happened at the national Enquirer. It happened, you know, various places. I, I'm not going to open this up and have a bunch of white powder blow in my face or whatever, you know? And they thought I was overreacting. Or at least the white powder of that sort. A know? different type of white power, powder than was usually had been passed around in Titan Tower. Yeah, this, 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 yes. is, this is the wrong podcast. I'm sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> Actually, it's not. It's really not. But yeah. Um, but and I want to say one thing, too, because uh, since I have you here and I know we didn't spend a ton of time working together, but, you know, um, you made a lot of friends in the time that you were there and people continued to talk about you fondly for years after you were gone. And I think you should know that. And I know that, you know, there was a lot of gentle ribbing, maybe sometimes not so gentle in that company in general, but also in that department. A lot of ball breaking and teasing and things and Aaron and Marco and Faz and a lot of things. But I, I can guarantee you, and I feel comfortable saying this and secure saying this, and I need you to know this, that it in, it in your case, it was always good natured. Everybody liked you. Everybody respected you. And everybody enjoyed having you around. And so you should know that. So you never think it was it was it was never mean spirited. And I know like something that they told me when I first started and it was so true. I found it to be so true. They would say to me, if they tease you and make jokes with you and like, you know, kind of rib you and make fun of you sometimes, that's how, you know, they like you. They were like, if if no one's doing that, if no one's doing that to you, if they just leave you alone and they don't break your chops and stuff, that's the way to tell that. You are not liked. They don't like you. And I found that to be true case by case. And so I just need you to know that. I don't want you to walk away thinking everybody was having a field day at your expense. They really enjoyed having you around. No, I never, I never felt that, you know, Good. and I, again, you know, going back to the, to the Terry point, you know, being really the only, not just black guy, but just black person really almost outside of the talent at the company, at least that I knew of. Um, it was a little different, but I must say that I never, ever was made to feel different. And that was something that was very important to me because visibly um, I saw uh, what I projected um, but I was never, again, other than the Terry incident where, you know, all black people look alike. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I, and actually listening to the podcast with my former colleagues and how they would bring me up, I, mm -hmm. I, um, I was 
beyond flattered. I, and I, you know, I would come in for different, uh, several times I came in for different visits as well. Yeah. And they would get yeah. excited. Let me tell you, I, I remember hearing, you know, I, I was not invited to these, but I remember like Aaron and Marco, they would be like buzzing about it. I'm not kidding. Like, Hey, Hey, your blood show's coming later. You coming? Yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. 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 You know, like they would buzz when you were coming back for sure. I I had no idea. And I'll, I'll say this as well, you know, um, now uh, by fluke and accident, I am a flight attendant now where I get to do my fair share of travel. I'm, my office is in the sky. Um, yeah, because it's like, you know, there was a pond uh, not too far from Titan Tower. Yes, I used to like to go there for lunch. This is how badly I wanted to go. Yeah. So it's like I'd almost quit two other times before the third time. So the third time, you know, we kind of mutually agreed. It, it got to a point where I would bring eight cookies a day to the office and eat one on the hour. So I knew how many hours I had left. Or, you know, I would go and sit at that pond and have my Thoreau moments uh, when the weather was cooperating. Um, yep. it, it, there was a nice gym there as well. It's like it was nothing overall that the company did. It was an amazing company to work for. It was a very easy job to do, but it was probably a little too easy. But one of the things that um, when I left, I realized I never left with a name tag, a name bar on my door. And that was a sore only Aaron really knew this because I, I told him, again, this is a little Pisces thing. Um, so, you know, Laura was, uh, you know, you know what Laura's role was. And yes, Laura Bryson. Laura, yep. Yeah. And Laura was also, I found out, responsible for ordering um, the name bars that went outside, outside the office. And I'd been there for how long? And I'd never gotten a name bar. Wow. Um, yeah. So I never really mentioned this to anybody but Aaron. And I I don't think in the beginning anyway, for whatever reason, I don't think that Laura cared for me. Um, well, well, Laura, again, for people that don't know, because it was an unusual situation and that was it was it was weird. I'd like to have Laura on here one day, too. I haven't really spoken to her in a long time, but she had been my understanding, Vince Russo's assistant. And then when Russo left to go to WCW, because Russo still was technically the editor in chief of the magazines, even though I don't think he was really hands on anymore. Uh, Barry, I guess, essentially made her put her in charge of WWF magazine. And so she had a little bit of of power for a while there. I remember I was I was filing stories with her when I first started writing for the magazine. I'm sure you were too. Yeah, I um towards the end, I don't know, maybe I'd grown on her, but I felt that it was different than at the beginning. I, you know, I just had an opportunity. I don't know, you know, I didn't know like who, who, what grudges or all the other background or whatever. I just um, got the initial feeling that she did not care for me. I loved working under under Mike. Under, Mike was uh, awesome. Solely. 
Yes, me I too. love working. You know, if I get raw stories, I'd I'd be delighted. If I got the WWF ones where I had to kind of, you know, check in with Laura, I wasn't as happy. Well, what um, I liked about I, Mike Fazioli was that he had a background in, and not, nothing against Laura, but Mike Fazioli had a background in publications, and not only that, but sports. You know, he had been the managing editor for ESPN, the magazine. That's where he got hired from. When when Russo left, basically, Barry brought him in, and I guess he kind of took Kevin Kelly's spot. I'm not really sure how it all worked. But, yeah, he was great to work for. I love Mike. Every now and then I still talk to him. I had him on the show. He's He was a, he had funny as hell. Man. Yeah, I, 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 I loved, I loved working um, with him. He was just great. And of course we both went to Syracuse as well, but um, you know, not so much Laura and, you know, I, I it, it pains me to say, to say this, but um, I didn't really care to work for her. Um, and like I said, it was later um, that I thought she loosened up a little bit around me, but yeah, I uh, just thought I'd, I put that out. But yeah, everybody in the office was absolutely amazing. I was sad to go because of the people um, that I'd met. And I, gen you know, we, um, I genuinely um, felt that they would miss me um, as I missed them. And that's why I've kept contact as, as long as I have. But overall, it just was not satisfying for me. So I'm, like I said, I truly mean this when I say that I'm happy that you were able to do what you were able to do and, and for as long as you did. And I kind of stopped watching for a very long time. Um, so it's like, I don't even re really remember the uh, Stacy Keebler stuff, whatever. I loved Ivory. I yes. absolutely loved Ivory because I remember Ivory from Glow, Tina Ferrari, and I couldn't believe, and she liked me too. You know, it's like- um, she was. She was awesome. Yeah. Yes. And Stevie would come into the office. Uh, Stevie well, Richards. you know, Stevie Richards was engaged to Laura Bryson. Did you know that? Uh, well, I guess that's why I came in the office so much. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we were wondering, why is Stevie always here? And Stevie all of a sudden has a column in WWF magazine. Wow. Getting heat. OK. And then we come to find out they were engaged. They did break it off. I did go to the engagement party, which is another one of those surreal uh, moments. And but but yeah, they were they were briefly engaged, Stevie and Laura. And I have since, by the way, as a flight attendant, I I had um, I've had Roman Reigns flight. Wait, you bro you broke up again was, there, Rob? You said you had wait, Roman Reigns on your flight once. I had I've had Roman Reigns on a flight, wow. and. I did I did not, you know, say my background or whatever, but um I've seen nicer people. Uh hopefully he's a lot nicer in person than um than on the plane. As now he wasn't outright rude or anything, but he you know, I even called him hey champ. I, uh, I don't know in person. Oh, and I, I can't let you leave without telling you a rock story, by the way. Um, but I had I I had uh, Sasha Banks on on the flight. They were coming from a show in Pittsburgh, so it was Sasha Banks and um, oh God, what's his his name? The big big, uh, uh, big brute. Uh, There's a lot of those, Rob. Catch catch these hands. Uh, oh oh, Braun Strowman. Yeah, Braun Strowman. Um, 
I guess it shows I don't know him more. They're not doing anything with him. Um, no, he's but, hurt uh, now, yeah. Yeah, so they were on the flight. I um, And I also had, this was just a few weeks ago, I had um, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Danielson, ah. you know, David Bryan, and um, yeah. Daniel, off, Daniel, Brian. Daniel Bryan. See, gosh, you see, you guys are way bigger fans than I. So, but yeah, Daniel you... Bryan was was awesome. And you have know? you ever brought up to any of them, like, hey, I used to work there or whatever? I actually, like um, I told Sasha, and I, since uh, uh, Daniel is still, since he's at AEW um, with the Hardys, I let him know, I was like, you know, if you see Matt and Jeff, you know, let them know that uh, your flight attendant was the black guy at WWF who did their story in North Carolina, you know? Um, yeah, but I have to tell you this rock story because only one of, I don't, Aaron was my confidant. You know, I, you know, um, and he invited me to his wedding in, in Israel. Wow. Uh, that I, I went to, um, and don't let him, uh, I, I beat him in tennis. I bageled him in tennis. He'll tell you a different story, but, um, really I was the one that bageled him. Don't believe him. Um, so only Aaron really knows this story. So, uh, remember around 1999, the internet was just becoming what it would become. Yes. You know? Um, so I would uh, read like um, uh, like these different sites that, you know, would talk a little bit about behind the stuff story stories uh, with with wrestling. And there was a radio show. I don't know if you even listened to it. Did you ever hear of the Opie and Anthony show? Oh, God, I was obsessed with it. Yeah, I listened to it right to the bitter end when Anthony imploded and self-destructed and destroyed the show yeah yeah and they were there was a time where they were doing like co-promotion with wwf i think i know where you're going with this story if you mentioned the rock this is infamous but yes yeah so so um i was reading online so it wasn't really so you know they would have i guess a third guest on their show or something like that Jim Norton, uh, I guess, or was was on there well, for a while. It was it? somebody on their show was basically. Um, oh yes, yes. This wasn't Jim Norton. Yeah, this was someone else. Yeah, and at least on this site that they were a part of, it had you know this person had some really really nasty kind of rape. Well, they weren't kind of. They were racist. They things were very. I remember this very about, racist about Jackie. I love Jackie. So um, I never met her, but I remember, you know, Jackie body slamming dudes and, and WCW. And, you know, so when she got to WWF, you know, I was like, oh, my God, maybe she'll fight China again. That's, again, how big of a fan that I was and not as behind the scenes as you guys. But anyway, so um, I was reading online and, you know, this there was a guy who was going to be this. Oh, this there was a guy on the internet who was going to be on Opie and Anthony's show. But this guy on the website was, you know, tolerating um, this racist saying like Jackie was a look, was a monkey, you know, I mean, just 
racist stuff. And there so, were things um, about Mark Henry on there too, I think. And, yes. and and he had even made comments about The Rock too. Yeah. Think, and so right? I, I couldn't believe that this guy on this website mm -hmm. was going to get the forum because The Rock was going to be, it was announced he was going to be on this Opie and Anthony show, which I didn't watch anyway. But to think that this guy on the internet would have the privilege of sitting in the room with The Rock. And this is, of course, before The Rock even, he was big, but he's nowhere near where he is now. So I said, okay, I don't think that this is right. And so you know how we had the list of talent, you know, because we need to contact them for stories and whatnot. So I actually got The Rock's number. I called. I got Danny, his then wife. I said who I was, you know, that I was a writer with the magazine. And I let her know that there was going to be someone, you know, that, you know, The Rock was going to be on this radio show and that there was going to be someone in that room that was responsible for very racist things on the internet being said about Jackie and Mark Henry. And I thought that The Rock should know. And so um, I let her know. And if anybody has not heard The Rock on the Opie and Anthony show, you can actually go on YouTube. <laughs> if you're listening, you can go on YouTube and type in The Rock on Opie and Anthony and you will hear how The Rock dealt with it. And I was actually the one responsible for- I never knew. See, I know the story. I had no idea that you had a connection to that. So a lot of people may remember this because, but I don't know if it was that big of a deal outside of New, the New York area, but <clears throat> Opie and Anthony, they were on, at the time they were on WNEW FM in New York. I don't know if it was heard in other places yet. It was, a, it was a big show, and they were doing a lot of co-promotion with the WWF, having wrestlers on. And I remember this. I remember The Rock went on, and he caught them by surprise. It was like a gotcha moment. Yes. They, they didn't know that The Rock knew about this guy now and what he had written, and he called the guy out live on the air. And I don't know if you remember this, but it led to you – I'm sure you know – it led to a whole kind of war of words where – Opie and Anthony started this like anti-rock campaign and they weren't going to help the the WWF anymore. And, you know, the, the wrestlers stopped going on the show. And so they went from, you know, pumping up WWF on the show to, to tearing it down. And unfortunately, and again, you were gone by this point. Actually, no, I don't think you were. I think you were still there. They, the WWF, wound up basically kissing Opie and Anthony's ass to try to get them back in the good graces again so that they would stop bad-mouthing them on New York radio. Um, and one of the first jobs I got when I got there as a copy editor in 2000 was to look over and proofread the literally engraved invitations that Opie and Anthony were being sent to attend WrestleMania 2000 in Anaheim, California, 
and all this kind of deluxe treatment that they were getting. And I had to copy edit all of it. And I, and I'm already a listener of the show going like, and not really fully being aware. I'm going, why are they doing this for Opie and Anthony? And then I made the connection in my head. Oh, they're trying to play nice with Opie and Anthony. And actually years later, I told that story to Sam Roberts, who Sam Roberts at the time was an intern on the Opie and Anthony show. And Sam Roberts now currently kind of is the took over what was the remains of their show, which he hosts with with um, Jim Norton now. But he also works for WWE. I don't know if you know of him. Sam Roberts is, you know, is like a talking head for WWE. And years ago when I met him at a show, I told him that story. And I remember him going like, yeah, I, I couldn't understand why WWE was all of a sudden kissing Opie and Anthony's ass at the time. Like, why are they bringing them for free to WrestleMania? But that was the reason why they were trying to get them to stop saying The Rock is a pussy on the air and making fun of WWF and refusing to promote their shows. So uh, I had no idea you were connected to that, Robert. Yes. And from what it sounds like, they ended I I never listened to them anyway, but based on what you said, uh sounds like they got what they eventually deserved anyway they did um, yes and you know it's like again you throw a boomerang you have to catch it well you know uh, what happened i don't know you, you might be somewhat satisfied to know this but what brought their show down in the end and look i was a fan of the show i was a listener but it was a very flawed show with very flawed people and even as i listened at the time it was almost like train wreck radio that you couldn't turn off but uh, the reason the show imploded was that Anthony of the Opie and Anthony show went on some kind of a racist tirade that he felt comfortable enough posting on the Internet, thinking, you know, nobody or on social media, thinking all of his fans would eat it up. And it got him fired and banned from Sirius XM completely. And it led to the the disillusion over the next year or two completely. Um, of the show so it is sort of like chickens coming home to roost in a weird way universal justice and i i was so proud of the rocks reaction i mean i and it was it was very difficult walking around the office knowing that <laughs> you threw the bomb <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you kind of shied away and maybe looked back once or twice um but I would happily lob that bomb again on uh, an ethical and a moral basis. I would do it again. I have no regrets for that. And and I actually got um, to meet The Rock at a show at Madison Square Garden. And I was like, I'm the one who called. He's like, that was you, you know. Um, and he's very nice. And I know you're going to wrap up soon, but I also um, just want to also say one of the nicest people because you you had a uh you were you were talking um uh, i think it was aaron that you were talking with about you know how some of the guys are nice and others not so much and um but one of the personalities that totally totally threw me for a loop and i think i uh, mentioned this on on your twitter page was chris jericho mm. because on tv he was such an ass he was such an ass, but in person, that was one of the nicest, most gracious people that I've met. And I also remember um, being at the 
uh, at the stand, it was Hartford Civic Center. Yes. Yeah, we, yeah, we, uh, Aaron and I went uh, to interview some of the talent then. And I honestly, again, this is that Pisces in me being able to pick up on things. But I honestly could see um, the looks on Rikishi and on Ron Simmons when I was um, just backstage interviewing people and it made a difference to them and 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 the late Eddie Guerrero as well. Um, it made a difference to them seeing uh, a brown face, you know, interviewing them. You know, of course they, I think Eddie actually mentioned something um, about it because I, I think we went to the restaurant um, uh, in Times Square um, to interview him. Um, but there was definitely an appreciation for um, diversity at, at the company. I, I could feel it, you know. Um, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, from what I understand and what I get from the outside is that that's something that's definitely changed for the better there. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, we were coming in at a time when maybe just slightly things were starting to change, but certainly like in the eighties and nineties, I mean, that was just pretty much, you know, everybody there was, was white. I mean, you know, unless like you said, you were, you were talent, you know, uh, that was about it. But that, uh, I think that's gotten a lot better even since after the time that we were there. Um, but you did the, you did the right thing with the rock. That is great. I, I had no idea. And, I'm happy to hear it that it went down that way. I I never knew. I just assumed that he just found it on his own. I never knew there was a connection, but um, you definitely did the right thing there. You don't need me to tell you that, but you see, Rob, you said you weren't sure you were going to have enough stories to fill this show. And now here we have gone over time. So I knew it. I knew it was going to be fine and it turned out fine. I think people are going to love this. It's like, I love doing these because these specific ones where I have Titan Tower people because they're always like, oh, no one's going to care. I, I worked in the office. I don't know. I did this or that. But let me tell you, there are people who care. I mean, this, there are people who can't believe some of these stories that that have never been told or shared. And they just like for us, it was just a job in some cases. But for the people that listen, it was a lot more than that. So, I mean, this was great. And you are absolutely right. Um we on that second floor we were we were fans above all else and i am so grateful that i have relations for the rest of, for the rest of my life um based off of that experience so i'm grateful and thank you for for having me um because i was feeling a little jealous after listening <laughs> and and also the references to me um so yeah, we night we need to do a, a group one now. I'm telling you, that is definitely gonna happen. I, I said it to the other guys, and you know, I've been doing this for you know, I've got like 80 plus almost 90 episodes. So, you know, I'm starting to do some variations and things and guests coming back and stuff. And I, I would love to do a panel with everybody. I mean, that would just be a delight. So hopefully that'll be the next time when you come back, we'll make that happen. Well, let's make it happen.
There you have it, folks, my conversation with Robert Bledsoe. And I also want to make mention, which I should have mentioned at the top, but I'll mention it here, of course, of the unfortunate timing. Uh, at the time that this conversation was recorded, it was prior to the news of the passing of Louis Jean Frito, who coincidentally came up in our conversation, because, of course, as you heard, Robert and Louis did work together for a short period of time. So we were not expecting that, but just kind of an odd and unfortunate coincidence that I want to acknowledge and make mention of. Again, our hearts and our thoughts and prayers go out to the family and friends of Lujan Frito. I want to thank Robert for coming on the show, and I want to let you guys know to keep listening to this show because we've got more great guests on the way. This is going to be a great one next week for episode 88. Fresh off the publication of his brand new book, The Nature Boy Ric Flair, The Last Real World Champion, I've got the truly great wrestling historian and author, Tim Hornbaker. He's coming next week. It's a great conversation that you are going to love, and I've been working overtime. Keep listening to the show because in the weeks to come, we have more incredible guests who are coming. For example, Bradley Craig is coming back, the UK historian and author. He was one of my first guests. He will be here. Pro Wrestling Illustrated longtime staff member Harry Burkett is coming on the way, as well as Jamie Hemmings of Slam Wrestling. And we've also got, well, we've got more. I don't want to give away any others that are in the works right now. Uh, other former WWE employees, other people from throughout the business. I'm working overtime, as I said, to bring guests to Shut Up and Wrestle. And I know that they're going to be people you're going to enjoy listening to. So keep listening to the show. You can find it at suawpod.com. You can also subscribe to it there, suawpod.com, as well as all the usual places where you find great podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You know the places to go. Go there and find the show. Also, go to the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. You'll find lots of information, breaking news. That's where I first broke the news of Bret Hart writing the forward to my new book. So please join the Facebook group. You will not regret it. While you're at it, there's a lot of other great projects that I work on. From Arcadian Vanguard is the Wrestling News. Every morning, your daily update on the news from the world of professional wrestling Find it at thewrestlingnews.com. You can also find it on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. Every day we have a different cute graphic to go along with it. Check it out if you get the opportunity. My books, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, as well as Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. They are both on sale now in all the usual places. And if you'd like to buy an autographed copy, you can reach out to me directly at Solomon at yahoo.com. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, as I mentioned at the top of the show, get it at pwi-online.com. Inside the Ropes Magazine, you can find at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you are looking for me on social media, you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram at Solomon. 
You'll find me on Facebook. My author page there is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying fairy tales can come true and can happen to you if you're young at heart. So long, wrestling fans. Baby.